Have you ever been on the water when a big storm rolled in? Now I'm not talking about like hanging out at the pool when it started raining, you go inside. I'm talking like on a big body of water, like a lake or the ocean, and the storm came in. It was pretty frightening. Anybody ever been there? Several years ago, I was duck hunting. I was by myself with my chocolate lab, Samson. I was in Arkansas. Uh, I finished the hunt, and I was in the middle of the lake. I had a big spread of decoys, about 50 decoys, and I was wrapping the strings around each decoy when I noticed in the distance a huge storm was coming in. You could hear the, the thunder and the lightning, and I was trying to hurry up, and I was halfway through getting all my decoys when, when it started to rain and the waves started to get to real high and it was, I only had like a little 14 foot boat. So it was going back and forth and the waves were coming in the water. And my first instinct was to get the water out of the boat. And, and so I went back to, to start the motor because I knew I needed to get safely to shore and uh, the motor wouldn't start. And I was in waders didn't have my life jacket. I mean, it was like chaos. My 100-pound dog was jumping around. It was making the boat go back and forth. And I thought I was a goner. And in the middle of that, that moment, in the middle of that storm, I just remember crying out to God like, help, Jesus. And in the midst of the chaos, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me some wisdom. How many of you are grateful for the times that the Lord gives wisdom during difficult times? And, and this is what I've sensed. I felt like the Holy Spirit just whispering me, don't fear the waves, go with them. I didn't have a paddle, so I got in the front of the boat with my shotgun that I used the stock of it as a paddle, and I just positioned the boat in the way that I went with the waves, and I safely arrived on the shore. Now, we've all been in storms, but the storms of life can be more frightening, can't they? If you've ever been through a divorce or you've received a bad diagnosis in a doctor's office or the debt that just keeps building and building with no light at the end of the tunnel or just relational pain or threats of any kind can, can just make us feel like we're drowning in the waves of uncertainty, fear, and doubt. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to become overwhelmed with anxiety and be so afraid and to take our eyes off of Jesus and to put them on the storms or the trial or to anything that can, can ease the pain. And, and that's what the enemy will want us to do. But it, regardless if you're in a storm, the reality is we're all gonna go through a storm at some point. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials, right? So how are you gonna respond when you're in a storm? Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. I'm so glad that you're here as we start a brand new series called Behold His Glory. Behold His Glory. We're going to see story after story where the glory of God is revealed in supernatural ways. And my heart is that, that we would be so overwhelmed by His presence that the glory of Jesus is someone that we will want to fix our eyes upon during the good times and especially the difficult times. And so this was a very difficult time in Jesus's life. The, the first story that we see in Matthew 14 is the death of John the Baptist, someone that Jesus was very close to. So he was feeling his his loss. Remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man, right? And in all ways, he experienced the heartaches and the trials and temptations that we face. That's what Hebrews says. So you have that moment, and then he goes directly from the moment of the death of his cousin, of his friend, 
to a time of ministry where he sees a great need and the need is hunger and he sees this big crowd of people and that's where he multiplies the bread and the fish and he feeds this huge crowd. And so after the death of John the Baptist, after this time of ministry, he, he gets away with his disciples. And how many of you know that during stressful times, sometimes you just want to be alone. If you're with people or you just feel worded out, peopled out, right? You just want to kind of be by yourself. And that's what we, we, we find in verse 22 of Matthew 14. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he sent the multitudes away, and when he, had sent, when he sent the multitudes away, he says he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Jesus knew the source of his strength was found in his hiding place, in the dwelling place, in that secret place, that time with the Lord where he's abiding with his father. So he gets alone with the Lord and he prays and he abides with the Lord. And, and it says in verse 24, but the... Uh, when the evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, this would have been between 3 and 6 a.m., it says, Jesus went to him walking on the sea. Can we acknowledge that that's just one of the coolest miracles in the Bible? Like, again, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And this was not like this glassy sea. This would have been stormy. The, the winds were contrary. There would have been waves. And Jesus is, and I know, we know Jesus is like compassion is. Disciples are in the middle of the sea in this boat and they're afraid and he wants to help them. But can we just like, he walked on the water to get there. How cool would that be? Wouldn't that be fun? Like he had to enjoy that, right? Here's something else that he may have enjoyed. It says that when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, how did they respond? It says they were troubled, saying it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Like, again, I, I, want to give, I know we can give the benefit of the doubt to Jesus that he was, like, not wanting to scare his disciples, but come on, y'all. Like, there's a little bit inside of all of us that like to scare people, right? Like, I just have to imagine that Jesus found a little, like he, he had maybe turned his head, smirked a little bit. He says, he looks like Jesus, his friend, and they're scared and they scared him. Like, I, I love scaring people. I always have. <laughs> Yesterday, I was with my son here in the church parking lot and we had to jump a vehicle. And so I'm letting Bryce do everything because he's learning how to do this. And he's got the cables and the vehicles are going and he's reaching in and I come up behind him and grab him like he got electrocuted and he jumps back scared. It was awesome. It was awesome. Mom's looking at Bryce and looking at me like she's so disappointed. I'm sorry, mom. Do we have time to tell you one more story? Um, okay. All right. So I'm, I'm like 20 years old. Matt Robertson, our far west pastor, my best friend, I'm his best man at his wedding, he's getting married. Well, the night after his, the rehearsal dinner, we go watch a little UFC, and then we decide to go out on the town. We're in Dallas on Harry Hines Boulevard, not a good area of town, and we go to a place to kind of hang out. It's like main event. And after we hung out for a, a few hours, uh, while we were there, I, I wanted to scare Matt. So this is how I scared him. I, I staged a robbery. I know, I know. Like, I brought a, like a starter gun that shoots blanks and I hired some shady guys at this place that when we came out in the parking lot for them to hold us up and for them to specifically shoot me. 
And so, I know I'm a terrible person. God's going to judge me. This one's probably not going to be under the blood. But anyway, so we come outside, and they hold us up, and I resist like I'm going to protect. They shoot me. I go down. Matt cowers underneath this vehicle. I'm like crying out. I, I reach out and grab him. And I'm like, Matt, they got me in the leg. Like, I got you in the leg. And he's like, it's, it, the terror, the shock, the betrayal, everything. It was just like, it's awesome. It's awesome. All right, let's get back to the Bible, all right? Let's get back to the Bible. Okay. So they cried out in fear. Jesus probably didn't laugh. He probably didn't enjoy it as much. It, some of you, you're like, you're, li you're literally not even smiling. You're, you're judging. You just need to scare someone. Live a little. It'll bring so much joy to your life. This was prior. All of this happened prior to 9-11. I know I'm not advocating. This is not a good idea. Don't do it. All right, verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came out and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the Messiah. You are our savior. You are our king. You are to be glorified in every way. And I pray that that we as your people, as a church, as a family, would glorify you, not just during the good times, but during the bad times. And I, I pray, O oh Lord, that your word and your presence would just be so obvious today, that you would minister to those who are hurting, to those who are struggling, to those who are in a storm. I pray that your word would help us, equip us to be ready when we go through a trial. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, we read this story and we see Peter, and, and he, I love the gospel because it shares the good news and the bad news, and the reality that he fell, he, 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 he had a lack of faith, right? He, he started to drown. He goes into the water after, and we see Jesus calling him out. Oh, you, don't, you have little faith. And it's easy to kind of look down upon Peter, but the reality was he's the only disciple that had the courage to get out of the boat and walk on water, right? He's the only one besides Jesus in human history that walked on water. But to understand the story of why he got out of the boat, you have to understand, like, look through the first century lens of discipleship. If you're a little boy, you go through, like, these, these stages. I mean, when you're, like, six or seven, you're starting to learn and study and memorize the Torah, the first five books of our Old Testament. And if you are teachable and you're hungry and you show aptitude, then later, as you get to be, like, even close to 13 years old, the community rabbi who administered a synagogue would would choose only about 1% of the Jewish boys to come and follow him. They, maybe they would apply, but only 1% would get the invitation. And for those that did, they would follow closely behind their rabbi. They were known as Talmids or learners, disciples. And they would learn all, not just the spiritual things, but every word, every action of their rabbi, they wanted to repeat and mimic and learn from. 
And so there, there would be this saying in Jewish culture that if you could walk so closely behind your rabbi that if the dust from his sandals get on your clothes, that would be considered a great honor. So when Peter sees his rabbi walking on the water, what is Peter's response? It's like, I want to walk on the water. And that's what he does. He sees what his rabbi's doing. He does it. And Jesus would never ask people to come and do something that he not only did, but what he would not get the power to be able to do. So fast forward the Great Commission. Jesus says to Peter and to the disciples and to us, go and make disciples. Jesus made disciples. Now he's calling us to go and make disciples. He would never ask us to do anything that he couldn't do, nor could we do without him, without his power of his Holy Spirit. We can't do it. But here's the reality about Peter. Like, we can see through the gospel, it's not just his highlights that are recorded, but oftentimes a lot of his failures. And there's a pattern in Peter's life. It's not like on social media where we just kind of post the best things that happen in life, but these are the vulnerable moments. And Peter had a lot of them. And I think that's why a lot of us probably like Peter because we can relate to him in his weakness, right? Not just this moment where he, he fell and, and, and under the waves because he took his eyes off of Jesus and he was corrected for having little faith. But remember when they were going towards Jerusalem and Peter tried to, to like say, Jesus, we can't go here. This is a detour. Remember what Jesus called Peter? Satan, right? Like not his finest moment. He's called Satan. And then here's another storm when Jesus is being arrested in the garden. It was a, it was a chaotic, chaotic moment. How did Peter respond? Took off his sword, he cut off the dude's ear. Jesus had to heal him. So they had that moment. And then, and then Jesus even said, hey, before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me. Kind of like gave him a heads up. And Peter says, no way. But in the reality, what did he do? When a 16-year-old girl comes up and says, do you know Jesus? He denies even knowing him. He betrays him. And then he turns his back on ministry, the call, the great commission to go to make disciples. And he goes back to be a fisherman. But Jesus goes, after he's resurrected from the dead, he prepares a breakfast on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he looks Peter in the eyes and he says, hey, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep, take care of my flock. How many of you are grateful that Jesus doesn't give up on us? Even when our failures, even when we, we, we mess up, even when we come up short, even when we panic in the middle of the storm, like his, he just doesn't give up on you. I love that. And, and that's why Jesus like was developing this in Peter. Remember his name originally, Simon, means reed, weak. And Jesus would call him what? Peter, that means rock, source of stability. And it was upon Peter, upon his statement that Jesus is Lord, that he built the church, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And over the next several years, the Lord would use Peter, right? He would use the apostles to establish the church, to start new churches in that area. And then, so over the next 30 years, Wow, imagine the character and the maturity that happened in Peter's life. And so when he would see in AD 60, when Jewish and Gentile Christians are suffering all over Asia Minor and modern day Turkey, he has this burden. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a letter. In fact, turn with me in your New Testament to 1 Peter. And again, the suffering that was happening in AD 60 underneath the, the, the rule of a Roman emperor named Nero was just, the worst kinds of persecutions. Christians were fed to the lions. They were, they were, their heads were cut off. They were burned at a stake. They were crucified. And, and so all of them were, they were displaced. 
There was hunger, there was pain, there was suffering. And so Peter is so burdened, perhaps even at the end of his, near the end of his journey on earth. And, and the Holy Spirit inspires him to encourage the Christians that are all over to stand firm. He wants to encourage them. And the way, the way that they can stand firm is really, there's really two, two themes, two very just action steps that you can apply to your life to stand firm in the midst of a storm. All right, so let's read Starting in verse 3 of 1 Peter, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at his perspective and his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into a what? An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says, in all this, you greatly, what? Rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, but these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, faith at greater worth than gold which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We have endured, remember a year and a half ago when the pandemic first started and all the uncertainty, right? Like the threats against our health, against our finances, against the way we live, the way we worship, the way we work, all of it was being affected. A lot of fear and certainty during that time. And we came out of, we were starting to come out of that, that pandemic season and there was a lot of grief and disappointment. A lot of people struggling with even post-traumatic syndrome a little bit, right? And, and then what happened to us Texans? Snow apocalypse. You remember, right? Most of us, raise your hand if you lost power or water. You remember, it was like freezing temperatures and, and we lost power and water. And, and I remember at that moment, and, and he's seeing so many people in need. I came to the church because I was really hoping that we could open up our, our church for people who were hungry and have a place to get warm and charge anything. And, and so when I got here and then I tried to turn on the electricity, guess what happened? No power either. And I began to pray and I cried out to the Lord. And, and you know what the Holy Spirit did? The Holy Spirit reminded me what our theme was for this year, which is, you remember, to, to rise up. And I said, Lord, how do we rise up? How do we stand firm in the middle of the storm? In the middle of the storm when so many are struggling and hurting and in pain. And the way that we can stand firm is really there's two ways that, that Peter, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The first is that we are to rejoice. Look to someone next to you and say, rejoice. How many of you know it's easy to rejoice when things are going good? But when things are not going good, when it's hard, when it's tough, when you're in a storm, it's not easy to rejoice. But joy is not dependent upon our happenings, our circumstances, right? Joy is only dependent upon are the living hope of Jesus inside of us. So our joy should not ever be able to be robbed from us. When we rejoice, God is pleased. But when you rejoice in the storm, God is glorified. Like remember Paul and Silas, when they were persecuted, when they were in prison, and, and, and they were handcuffed, maybe to be executed. What did they do when they were in that jail cell? 
They began to sing praises to God, right? Now, a hymn started coming up. I imagine the other prisoners were like, these guys should be depressed. They should be in a pity party. And they began to sing praises to God and worshiping the Lord. And God allowed there to be an earthquake and a, and a miracle happened to set them free. But God, was, God is glorified when he sees his children praising him, rejoicing during the good times, but especially the bad times. And it really is a rejoice is not a feeling. It's not emotion. It is a choice that by faith, I'm going to praise God during the good times and the bad times. It's a choice. It's a faith moment. It's a decision. That's what rejoicing is. He says, we're going to rejoice in our living hope. Who is our living hope? It's Jesus, right? Verse six, again, he said, in all this, in all of what? He said, in all of our salvation through Jesus and our inheritance through Jesus, our forgiveness through Jesus, our, the redemption through Jesus, the reconciliation through Jesus, our healing through Jesus, the, the grace, the strength, the peace, the joy only through Jesus. That should cause us to just want to rejoice and, and spontaneously praise him and worship him because of all of this that Jesus has done in and through our life. We've got to know this to be true. And sometimes we have to inform the pain of our feelings what our faith knows to be true, right? Because our lives, our, our feelings, the emotions, what we see in this world, it will lie to us and cause us to be influenced by that. But we've got to like, what does the word of God say? What does Jesus say? And fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith, amen? Fix our eyes on Jesus, don't look around to the storms. Don't look at the, the trial and the, the negative things of what could happen and, and replay that in your mind. That's what will cause you to worry and be anxious, and, but to surrender the cares to the Lord. Saying, you're in control, God. I trust you. I trust you. And I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to delight in you. I'm going to glorify you. Because there's purpose. There's purpose in the trial. There's purpose in the storm. Purpose in the pain. we got to believe that, right? He says in in verse seven, that these have come. What have come? These trials, the difficulties, the storms. They've come so that there's a reason, the proven genuineness, the testedness of your faith, greater worth than gold, the most important thing, even though it perishes through fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Christ is revealed. There's purpose in pain. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brethren, when you face trials of all kinds. Because the, the, the trial, it develops your character. It develops greater strength. It develops a, a greater dependence upon the Lord. If the storm causes you to become broken and stripped of your pride and stripped of everything else that you thought would bring satisfaction, happiness, security in your life. If you're stripped from all of that where Jesus is enough, that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be, where you're utterly dependent upon him. The Lord can be trusted that you're going to give glory through your life, through your words, through your actions. This is what the Lord wants. He wants to develop a greater love in you, a greater strength inside, his strength inside of you, the hope of your glory, his glory. This is what the Lord desires. He wants you to develop a greater empathy for others who struggle, Right? Some people, it's hard to identify or have compassion and love for people who are going through a difficult time. But if we've gone through it, we can say, me too. I remember what it's like. And we can pray and we can be there to help our friends who are in need. I can testify that the Lord is good and he'll never leave you during your difficulties. He doesn't leave you during your storms. 
his disciples were in the middle of the storm. And Jesus, I imagine when he saw that storm, he's like, I got to be with my guys. I got to be there. I got to be with them. I'm never going to, he promises, I'm never going to leave you. Never going to forsake you. I remember when Stephanie's dad died. I can remember when I was facing a physical issue and a burnout and a betrayal of a friend, a hurt of a family member. Each of these instances were very, very, very difficult, but I can testify that the Lord is good and he never left me and he'll never leave you, that he wants to develop you and make you stronger to glorify him. So first we're gonna rejoice. The second thing that we see that, again, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Peter He's inspiring us is to keep an eternal perspective. To keep an eternal perspective. He says in verse seven, let's look at it again, that these trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result into praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. When Jesus is revealed. Imagine that you're Peter and you're drowning under the waves and, and you're a little discouraged. This might be it. I might be drowning here. But imagine locking eyes with Jesus and seeing Jesus like extend his, his hand. Like there's hope. You're going to be saved. Like Jesus is going to help you, right? Like this, this revelation that Jesus is close and he's going to help. She, Peter would always have that moment. Not just that physical moment as Jesus was resurrected. Peter would have these moments as he would grow in his relationship with the Lord and now, again, this was written around A.D. 60 and near the end of Peter's life. If you read through 1 Peter, there's about 16, 16 moments where Peter is alluding to this eternal perspective. The, we know that history says that Peter, at the time of his death for his faith in Jesus, was to be crucified. But he did not want to be crucified like Jesus. He wasn't worthy, but he was rather crucified upside down. Peter, who was once weak, would now stand firm in his greatest storm in life. But it's because he had an eternal perspective. He had an eternal perspective. He knew that life here on earth was not his home, was not his end destination, but rather he was passing through. Life is but a vapor, right? We got to remember that we can praise God. We can glorify when we remember that heaven is our home. Even Paul knew this. He says to, to live is Christ, but to die is, is gain. 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul writes, if we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied. If your hope is in anything else other than our living hope in Jesus, you will be disappointed. You will falter. Your strength will be known as being small if you faint in the storm. But you won't if your faith is in Jesus and your living hope. If you have an eternal perspective that Whatever we face here, most of the time, you're going to be okay on the end of that storm, right? If you're in that storm, how many times have you heard from other people, hey, just be patient, just wait on the floor, it, it'll pass, it'll pass. How many of you have heard that? Like the sun's going to come up tomorrow, and, and I can tell you and to testify to every storm I've gone through, it passed, it passed. But you know, I was thinking, sometimes it doesn't pass. Sometimes our prayers don't go answered the way we think for our loved one, for ourselves. And the reality is that can be hard if we don't have an eternal perspective. But no matter what the storm is, one day we're gonna be with the Lord forever in eternity. And it's gonna be a place where there are no tears, there's no suffering, there's no pain. We're in the eternal presence of Jesus. And that should cause so much praise and, 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 a, and a faith that no matter what we face here, 
in eternity. What we face here on earth is just a, a small slice compared to all of eternity. We're going to be with the Lord forever and, and things are going to be good. It's a time of perfection and it's going to be a wonderful time. But we've got to rejoice. We've got to have an eternal perspective because it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. When we're going through the storm, it's easy to take our eyes off Jesus and what we know is true or to be influenced by the world, right? And this is, is going to be a season for you and you're struggling and, 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 and then there, there's the threats again and we're, we're coming into a new season where it looks like, man, the pandemic was behind us and now there's a threat maybe physically and you've heard someone test positive or you're worried about yourself and, and you're seeing the brokenness in the world and it's kind of like these, these cans are like a, cans of Dr. Pepper are gonna be an illustration. And I know the storm's made uh, so depressing, but uh, I didn't use that in first service, but I thought it was pretty good. But these cans are just a simple illustration to what can happen if you don't rejoice during bad times, if you don't have an eternal perspective, if, you're, if your hope isn't the living hope of Jesus. Because when you go through a storm and you're empty, guess what's gonna happen? You're gonna get crushed that fast, right? Physically, you're gonna get crushed. But what if it's, it's the threat financially and you, and you, you put all of your, 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 your satisfaction, your contentment into your income, but when that's threatened, when you lose your job and debt begins to add up and, and you're broken because there's nothing inside of you. You're not spending time with the Lord. And what about relational pain? When, the, when you've been hurt, when there's a wound there, maybe by the church, by someone that you respected, by a parent, and there's abuse, or a husband or wife, and then there's divorce, and that pain comes, and, and you're just broken, you're crushing, you're all like, like, God, you didn't answer it the way I thought it was supposed to go. And you're painful because what's inside of you, that you are weak, and there's, and there's nothing inside of you, but what's inside of you will determine the outcome. Because if, if you have something inside of you that is strong, you're going to be able to stand firm. And the word of God says, this is, this, is, this is how Peter ends his letter in 1 Peter 5, 12. I have written you to exhort you. In other words, to encourage you, to build you up, to declare that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. You are not, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are not to be broken during the storms. You are not to be crushed like what we see in the world because there's something different inside of you. And what's inside of you will cause you to be able to stand firm, will cause you not to be broken because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And you can put your faith in the living hope of Jesus that he won't abandon you. He, you don't have to lose heart, that you can rejoice during the good times and the bad times, amen? So Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. I pray that we would be encouraged, that you would bolster our faith, that you would help us to be strong in you. Lord, we, we know that you are here and we pray that you would be glorified through not just our words, but our lives, our actions. In Jesus' name, you see the suffering. You see the pain of some of your children, part of our church family. I pray that, they would know your presence, that your love is something that would never be separated. Nothing can separate us from your love. We're gonna end a little bit differently. We're gonna sing a worship song. And I wanna ask everybody to just close your eyes. I don't want you to be distracted by anything else. But as we sing this song, there's gonna be a moment that by faith, 
I want you to stand to your feet, stand firm as a declaration to rejoice and to praise and to worship God, no matter what you're facing, no matter the storm that you're in, as a testimony to God that he will be glorified, as a testimony to you and to your house that you will follow and you will worship Jesus during the good times and the bad, during hell or high water, you will praise the Lord. As for you and your house, you will serve, worship, obey, follow God to the end that you will send a message to the enemy that he is not going to bring you down, that you will be a witness to the world, that you will stand firm. Let's worship the Lord. And again, just stand at that moment, that moment when you want to make a declaration to the Lord, I want you to stand firm and, and praise God with all that you've got, all of your passion in your heart.